And the passage that we're going to be in this morning, the story about Jesus that we're looking at, is one where Jesus is sort of, sort of the moderator in this moment, where um, he's, you know, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's heading towards the cross, and he's just fed up with the Pharisees and their teachings and some of the things they're saying. And so he just lets in on them in this passage today. So if you would like to turn in your Bible or on your device, you can head to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 37. So Luke eleven thirty-seven, And I want you to keep in mind, as we're kind of going through this, uh, this particular story, that this is one of the harshest lessons Jesus ever taught. And not just that, but it, it makes the Pharisees and the experts of the law so incredibly angry that I mean, this is one of the steps that leads them to wanting to kill Jesus. And so as we, we read this, we need to recognize that kind of the nature of this passage is it can make you mad. It can kind of make you angry and frustrated. And so I'm just asking all of us to kind of just, just check our anger. If we hear something that Jesus has to say in this passage and it makes us really angry, I want you to kind of note that and come back to it later and think, why did that make me so mad? Like, why did that upset me so much? Also, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, about, I'm just going to give you his words. These are not my words. These are his words. So if you're angry, you can be mad at me, but you should really be mad at him. Okay. So here's what Jesus has to say, and it's pretty harsh. And it's important we study this because right after chapter 11 in chapter 12, Jesus starts off by warning his disciples. He says, hey, you need to be careful about the Pharisees. Don't be like them. So it's important for us to see what the Pharisees were like, so we can make sure we're not like them. So here's what Jesus has to say, uh, verse 37. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now that is not about personal hygiene, okay? It's not, Jesus, your hands are disgusting, man. You're, you're touching the fried chicken with those hands. Can you just... That's not what the issue is. The issue is ritual purity. They had these laws, and one of the laws that the Pharisees stuck to is there's special ways you need to like wash yourself and wash your hands, not because of germs, but sort of like spiritual germs. So they're not too thrilled. He hasn't followed their rules. Then the Lord said to him, Now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. And I, okay, I just have to, I love this next part. This part gets me every time. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Keep in mind, he's been talking to the Pharisees. So this other group, the, the experts in the law, like, hey, you, that makes, that hurts us too, Jesus. So the next verse, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you. Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. If, if, if you, he'll, he'll loop you into the insult too. So, all right, you experts in the law, woe to you. 
because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you built tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible, responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. I wonder why. And to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So he goes through all that, and that's one quick way to ruin a dinner party. Just let me tell you. And so he goes through all of these things, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He's just not, just not happy. So uh, there, there are seven things in this passage that Jesus is just furious and fed up on the Pharisees with. And so that's why I called this seven ways to kill a church. So if like if Jesus could come to us and if, if he was going to talk to us like the Pharisees, I thought, well, what are the seven things? How would he put these seven things to us to be warnings for us to watch out for? Because he says, don't, he tells his disciples, don't you dare be like the Pharisees. You watch out. So, we just go back to the top of the list. The first way I would kind of put this is, step number one, don't surrender your whole life to Jesus. That's a great way to start off. Just don't give your whole life to Jesus. Maybe you give a part of it, but not everything. Like, Jesus doesn't get total access. Because the Pharisees, they follow all of these laws, but none of it changes their heart. That's why Jesus says, the outside of your cup looks really clean. You're really great at presenting yourself. You do all the right stuff. But inside, you are terrible people because you're, you're doing all the laws. You're following all your rules, but it's not changing who you are on the inside. Uh, when I was in college, a group of us hopped in a car, as you sometimes do on Fridays and Saturdays, and took like a really quick road trip somewhere. And so we're driving down the road, and he's got a little uh, thermos sitting there in his cup holder, and he grabs it takes a quick drink, and then suddenly begins to swerve the car and spit up violently in, in his, on his steering wheel. And we're like, dude, what are you doing? What's... And he's like, that's not water. We're like, what, what is it? I think it's coffee. Like, oh. And so the, the, the passenger, the co-pilot, reaches over, grabs the thermos, pops the lid off, and instantly the car smells kind of like rotten eggs a little bit. And what my friend thought was water that he had just left in there the other day was coffee from a couple weeks back. And so, you know, it's, it's got some fuzzies floating around. It's growing hair. There might be a little town in there somewhere beginning to, you know, go up. And I don't know, maybe that's happened to you. Like you just left a car, a car you know, you left something in the car a little too long or, you know, somewhere in the bedroom. You're like, how long has that been sitting there? And that's Jesus' point with the Pharisees. On the outside, you look fine. Looks like a, you look like a great person. The Pharisees look like great model examples of what it means to follow God. But when you see what's on the inside of their life, they are terrible examples. They are absolutely not the kind of people you want to follow and be like. You don't want to listen to them. And the danger of this is when we keep people at a distance, 
it's really easy to keep the outside clean and the inside pretty messy. Because when no one's able to really look in on your life, when no one's able to get in close, they don't really, they just don't understand what's really going on. But Jesus is close enough to look straight into our hearts and know exactly what's going on on the inside. And he's the one who's able to clearly call us out when we need called out. Now, the umbrella problem of all these woes that Jesus gives is this first one. The, the main problem is hypocrisy. The Pharisees on the outside are not who they are on the inside. Now, I want us to dig a little deeper with hypocrisy because I think, you know, especially if you've grown up in church for a while, you've probably just kind of heard that most people outside of the church just call Christians hypocrites. And, you know, sometimes that's fair, but a lot of times it's they don't really know, they don't fully understand what's going on, or it's just like the fact that, well, we, we follow Jesus who is perfect, and none of us are perfect. So, of course, we're all going to fall short. We're not going to quite measure up. But that's not exactly what Jesus is getting at here. He's talking at, he clearly understands what's going on. It's not just, man, we're trying to follow Jesus, but we just slip up sometimes. He means the Pharisees flat out don't care. Like, they are, they are trying to do everything they can on the outside. They're trying to follow all the rules, but they don't really care what's going on on the inside. And so this idea of hypocrisy is we've got to dig a little bit deeper and not just think that this is, you know, something that people don't really understand or doesn't really mean anything. This is a very serious offense that Jesus is throwing at the Pharisees and that we want to watch out for ourselves. We want to make sure that People aren't just calling us hypocrites just because it's kind of meaningless. Because if somebody just randomly says, well, you're a hypocrite, you might go, I don't know who you are, you don't know me, meh, whatever. But like if someone really close to you calls you a hypocrite, that's going to hurt. And you're going to want to lean in and figure out, okay, what, what are you seeing? What do I need to work on? You know, like if my wife Jenna were to say to me, Justin, I think you're being pretty hypocritical about this. I'm not going to brush her off. I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Tell me what, what did you see? What are you, what are you noticing? And so when Jesus calls us out, we just want to, it might make us angry, it might make us upset, but we want to lean in and say, okay, Jesus, what, what do you see? What are you noticing? How can I be different? But if you want to be like the Pharisees, if you, if, if you want to start killing a church, first thing you do, don't give your whole life to Jesus. Just don't worry about it. Just If Jesus accuses you of something, just let it roll off. Don't worry about it. Here's the second thing he says on the next woe. And I would call this, don't give selflessly. So Jesus gets into the Pharisees on tithing. Now, notice he doesn't say that they should stop tithing or that they shouldn't tithe their, all their spices. He says, if you're going to do that, don't neglect the bigger issues. So just for a minute, I want you to walk into your kitchen and just, just pretend for a minute. If you were going to tithe 10% of, I don't know, your paprika, how would you go about doing that? I imagine you get out your paprika from your, your spice cabinet or your spice drawer, and if you've got a kitchen scale, you'd probably get your kitchen scale, and you'd get some kind of an empty container, and you'd set it on the kitchen scale, and you'd zero it out, and then you'd begin to pour out all the paprika and see how much you've got left, and then you'd be like, okay, what's 10% of that? And then you're going to have to do some conversion because your kitchen scale is probably in metric, and so you're going to have to like, okay, what was that again? I think we learned that in third grade. What is that? And you're probably just going to ask Google or Siri, hey, what's 10% of grams? You know, whatever. And you'd work really hard, and then, okay, and then, I don't know, put it in a little container, like, okay, I'll take that to the church, drop that off in the offering next week. Here's my 10% of paprika. Great. All right, now for, the, now for the onion powder. And you get that out, and you do the same thing again. And the point is, 
that's so tedious. That takes so much time. And Jesus doesn't necessarily say that's a terrible thing, that's a bad thing. He's saying, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to that extreme, then don't miss the bigger, more important stuff. Like, don't miss, notice what he says, don't miss justice. Don't miss the love of God. Like, those are pretty serious pillars. And maybe the Pharisees are giving, not because they love God, but because they want to make sure they do all the right stuff. They want to look good. They want to set this great example. But they don't really care on the inside. And here's the deal. God cares so much about justice. He cares about kids who are getting bullied. He cares about people that are mistreated. He cares about orphans and widows. And he cares about criminals getting punished for what they've done. And all of us are in that boat, you realize? All of us, as Paul says in Romans, all of us have sinned. We've all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve a pretty terrible punishment. And so Jesus dies so that God can declare us innocent. God cares about justice. And scripture talks about there's going to come a day where God will finally, he's going to, everyone who's done something evil, he's going to deal with them. It's going to be severe. And he's just being patient. And here's the scary part. He's, as, as John writes in Revelation and Paul writes in Romans, God is just storing up wrath for, the, for that day. You, trust me, you don't want to be on that side. You want to be on Jesus' side. You want Jesus to, you know, to declare you innocent. You want to be a follower of him. And Jesus is concerned. The Pharisees, they just don't care. Like, they don't really care about the homeless people down the street. They don't really care about the orphans who don't have a family. They don't care about the people who are being neglected and mistreated by the world. They're just doing all the things, following all the rules just to make it look good. In fact, there's another occasion where Jesus attacks the Pharisees publicly, and he's really upset with them because they have found a loophole in God's law. And so what they did is, instead of honoring their father and mother, by when their parents got old, financially providing for them, they would dedicate enough of their finances to God. Because that was, that was like a law. You could go ahead and dedicate money to the Lord, and then they go, well, sorry, Mom and Dad, I don't have any money left to take care of you because all of it's dedicated to God. They Now, come on, really? That's, that's not out of, you're not doing that out of love for God. You're doing it out of very shrewd financial management. You're not loving your parents and taking care of them. And so they found this loophole, and Jesus is pretty frustrated by that. Because their motivation was not to love God. It wasn't to love their parents. Their motivation was, how do I keep as much money as I can to myself? What do I need to do? So they found a, a nice little loophole to work with. So the question we have to ask yourself with that, that second woe is, what's your motivation for giving? Why do you give? Do you give because you want to look good? Do you give because you want to get your name put on something? Do you give just enough so that Jesus hopefully won't be too upset with you? Uh, do you give enough to get the best tax break? Which on that, if the government ever took away the tax incentive, incentive to give to the church, would you change your giving? Just a question, just something to think about. So why do you give? And if you want to be like the Pharisees, don't give selfishly. Give Give, give, give just in ways to serve yourself and help yourself out. Don't give because you love God. Give so that it's just a, it's an advantage to you. So then he goes on to this third woe, and he talks about, oh, you love the places in the marketplaces. You love seats of honor. And we don't really, we don't really have that as much in our culture. Like it, they did. You would walk into like Walmart or something back in those days, and there was a way you could get very you know, special greetings from people, and there were special seats at dinner parties and everywhere that you would sit at. 
So the way I would, I would say this, well, a little differently, is if you want to kill a church, don't choose a towel over a title. And here's what I mean by that. You know, Jesus set this example for us when he washed the disciples' feet. And so what did Jesus do? He chose a towel over his title. Jesus was Lord, Jesus is Messiah, he's the Son of God. But what's he do? He, he takes off his outer robe, he picks up a towel, he literally dresses like the lowest-ranked servant in a house would back then, and he begins to wash all of the disciples' feet, which any one of them should have been the first to jump up and do that job. But Jesus does that instead, because that's our example. When you get the choice, you pick up a towel. You pick up the place of a servant. There was a church I served at once where uh, someone was interested in becoming a deacon, so I sat in on sort of the deacon interview process, and one of the questions was, well, why, why do you want to be a deacon? And he said, I can't believe he said this, he said, I want to be a deacon so when I die, they can put deacon on my tombstone. And it took about everything in me to, like, pick my jaw off of the floor and be like, oh, uh, wh what? That's, like, the opposite of what we're looking for in a deacon. Deacon literally means servant. Like, you want to serve, you don't care about your title, you don't care about being recognized. And this... For the Pharisees, they really wanted control and power. And where do you get that? You get, you get people to greet you the right way. You sit in special places so people will do what you want. Uh, in the musical Hamilton, they, they use this phrase, the room where it happened. There's a politician named Aaron Burr, and he wants to be in the room where it happened, which means he wants to have his influence and his impact on the start of America. He wants to be in the room where the president is and get to have input on laws and tax codes and all kinds of government things. And Jesus told us to not even do that. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, he told his disciples this. He said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to collect titles and positions of power and, and sit in all the right seats and, and make things happen. He came to be a servant for all of us. And that's his example. But the Pharisees uh, didn't follow that. And it's important for us to remember that the Pharisees, a lot of times we just think of them as their teachers. They're more than teachers. They're a political group. And they use power and influence to get what they want. And you'll notice this because when you read the Gospels, there are a few occasions where the Pharisees, it says, and they, they didn't do anything to Jesus because they were afraid of the crowds. Jesus was too popular at that moment. And so they didn't have the influence or the power. So they, they stepped back and they waited for a better time. In fact, how did they get Jesus killed? Well, they've got to play a political game. They go to Pilate, and they negotiate, how, how can we get Jesus killed? What do we need to do? And they follow all these political rules. So they're a political group trying to use their power and their influence, and Jesus is not a fan of that one. So then he moves on to the fourth woe. He calls them unmarked graves. So here's what this means. Back then, when you came in contact with a dead body or a tomb, you were ritually, ceremonially unclean for a length of time, and you had to go to the priest, and there were steps you had to follow to be clean again. So what he means by this is, 
the Pharisees and the experts of the law, it's like they make you ceremonially unclean. So you're not allowed to worship, you can't go to church for a while, but you don't know that. And so now you're making everybody else around you unclean because you're, it sounds a little bit like being sick. Kind of sounds like quarantine. Like you've got to religiously quarantine, but instead they're, you're, you don't know you're sick and you're making everybody else sick. And he's like, you're like unmarked graves. People come into contact with you and you make them worse, not better. And except the problem is they have no idea you've just made them worse, which is a pretty nasty insult to be called that. So the way I would put that is don't spiritually encourage others. Like people come into contact with you and they leave you thinking, I hope Christians are not like that person. They have just this nasty taste in their mouth. Like, I don't want to interact with that person ever again. That's how these people were. Next, Jesus goes on to the other one, and he says, you guys, you teach so many laws and rules, and you have all these burdens you put on people, but you're not willing to help. So I just call this one, don't offer to help. Like, ever. Like, like don't, don't ever. It means you're quick to point a finger, but you're slow to lift a hand. You're quick to point out how people are sinning or how they're messing up or where they're falling short, but you're not going to do anything to help them out. Like, you're not going to try to help them overcome their sin. You're not going to be willing to be there for accountability or to encourage them or to maybe sacrifice on your end to help them out. And there have been times where we've, you know, we've, we've maybe done this individually, but we've also kind of done this corporately. Uh, you know, just in recent history, you know, of course, the church has fought against abortion and Roe v. Wade and the evils of all of that. But while we've been quick to, you know, picket and protest and point fingers, sometimes we've been really slow to actually help anybody. Like, we're quick to, to argue, you know, laws, but we're very slow to open up our spare bedrooms to someone in need. Or we're very slow to spend the time to walk with families or with mothers and help them, disciple them so they don't make that choice or to be with people and hear their full story and figure out how can we help and love and serve them. So sometimes we, we're still a little quick to point fingers and we're slow to help. So Jesus says, don't be like that. Be, be so quick to help. Because that's what Jesus does for us. He's first in line to help all of us out. Here's the sixth one, the sixth woe he goes on. And he talks about them building tombs. And he says, the problem is how they went about building these tombs kind of made it seem like they were okay with what their ancestors did. So the way I would put this one is, don't learn from the past. Don't learn from the past. So we just repeat the same mistakes. We don't go back and say, you know what? That was not a great idea in retrospect. We maybe should not have done that. Because what the Pharisees do is, they don't ever like go back and critique the fact that in the Old Testament, they killed all the servants that God sent to warn them about coming destruction. They don't, they don't ever, like, apologize for that. They never say, you know what, we should absolutely not be like them. We should repent of that, which is ironic because Jesus is the new prophet. He's right in front of them, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to kill him, so it's coming. And they haven't learned from the past, and this just means there's some things in the past. At times, we, we shouldn't be as proud of it as maybe we are, and there are lessons we need to learn, and sometimes it's just we get a little arrogant and we think, well, the way we've always done it, that should be the way we should do it. And sometimes that's not the case. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean we should do it that way. And so we have to be able to learn from the past and sometimes repent of the mistakes that we've made so we can get back on track with Jesus. And here's the last one. But their final, uh, just their final, well, the way I would put this is 
don't focus on Jesus. Because for the Pharisees, the center point is rules. Let's follow all the rules. Let's do all the right things. And so for us, that would sound like you just don't focus on Jesus. Like Jesus is not the main point anymore. The main point is something else. You know, like maybe for us, and it sounds a little extreme because he basically, he's calling the Pharisees and the experts of the law false teachers. Like don't do what they say. Don't listen to them. They're just a bad group of people. That sounds a bit extreme. But for us, sometimes we fall into this trap when we make Christianity not all about Jesus, but maybe we make it all about a certain kind of worship music. Or we make it all about, well, how is Jesus going to come back at the end of the world? Or we make it all about some other thing. It's, those things are all great. They're all important. They all have their place. But the most important thing is Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's get people to Jesus. Let's stay close to Jesus. Because he's in charge. He sets the agenda, and we just follow after him. That's what we've got to do. Uh, the late pastor, Eugene Peterson, wrote about his first ministry experience in a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant. And he talked about uh, his, kind of his first ministry assignment was his denomination sent him to a suburb in, um, outside of Baltimore, Maryland, to plant a new church. And so he does the things the church planters did back then, and eventually he gets about 40 people or so to meet in his unfinished basement on hard metal chairs. And they, you know, they do their best to have worship there in his basement for a little while, and eventually they start talking about a building, and people start giving money, and they make financial commitments, and they eventually can purchase some land, and eventually they can hire an architect, and they've got the, the there's the plan, there's the rendering of the building, and finally the building is up, and they move into it. And Eugene said that after just three or four weeks of worshiping and celebrating in their brand new, newly constructed sanctuary, attendance began to drop. And he's freaking out, like, what? We just built a building. The opposite should be happening. And so he goes around, he's talking to different people. Hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And he learned nothing was wrong. There was just nothing new to do. So his denomination, they said, his headquarters, their advice was, well, Eugene, you, you've got to find some new strategic initiative, something that the people can get their hands on, something new they can work on, that'll get them back engaged. And he respectfully declined their advice. And here's, here's what he wrote that really caught my attention. He basically wrote that he realized the building project was an idol. And he got a bunch of people on board who really wanted something really big to do, but they didn't really care all that much about God. And he wrote, I thought we were there to worship God and love our neighbors, living into a holy mystery. And then he continues, it turned out that far more people than I would have guessed had developed and helped with the building, not because it was a religious project, an idol that gave meaning and focus in the context of something worthwhile and suggestive of transcendence. They were not interested in God. Worshiping God was not emotionally exciting. Loving neighbors was not ego-satisfying. They drifted away and went on to get involved in other community projects. And that's kind of like what the Pharisees were like. They were interested in idols, in projects, in rules, in checklists, and things they could do, but they weren't really as interested in, in God as Jesus was hoping they would be. And when Jesus finally figured that out, they did not want to hear it. They were furious with him. And after this, they started like, how do we get rid of this Jesus guy? He's just ruining our name. He's dragging us through the mud. What do we got to do? Which is ironic. And so 
my question with all this, with all these woes, all this you know, sounds pretty rough. My question to you is why are you here? Are you here for Jesus? Well, that's why I hope you're here. I hope you're here for God, and I hope you're here for Jesus. I hope you're not here to just try to make a name for yourself. I hope you're not here to try to have some kind of power and influence and get what you want. I hope you're not here to just get more control over people. I hope you're not here for idols. I hope you're here for God and for Jesus. Because that's absolutely the kind of church we want to be. You know, because I can say, you know, reading through this, this list this week and studying it, you know, I... I don't want to have to be like, man, Rodney, we've got to come up with some new strategic initiative to get people engaged. It's like, yeah, we want to help you get engaged. We want to help you lead into your spiritual gifts, but I want you to be here for Jesus. I don't want you to be here because we just have all these cool programs and there's lots of things to do and fill your time with. I want you to be here for Jesus. And I want you to fill your time with Jesus. And the ways that we can help you do that around here, we want to do that. But I don't want to be like, well, where's everybody? Well, I guess, I guess we need to build something. I don't know. I guess we need to spend a bunch of money and go back into debt so people will show up. I don't know. It's like, no, I want you to be here for Jesus. Not for idols. Not for things to, to you know, put in your cap and say, man, we, that was cool. And that's the warning he gives the Pharisees. And so that's just the warning for all of us. It's like, hey, don't, don't be like them. We do not want to be a church like the Pharisees. Because that's gross. That's ugly. And we're just going to mess up a lot of people's lives if we do that. But if we're a church that's all about Jesus and we're focused on Jesus, then I can't help but think we'll do some of the things that Jesus did. Jesus said he came that we could have life to the full. And I would think, well, if we're a church that's focused on Jesus, people should find their way here and find life to the full. People should come here and find freedom because that's what Jesus gives. People should come here and find a new kind of life because that's what Jesus offers. And that's what I want to be. I don't want ever to be described as, man, you guys just weigh people down with burdens and you're not willing to help. I want people to be like, man, there's just a bunch of servants over there at Campbellsville Christian Church. How great is that? So we get a choice to make. And so let's not, let's not be a church like the Pharisees. Let's, let's take Jesus' warning to them seriously. Let's learn from their mistakes so we don't have to make them ourselves. And let's be a church focused and centered around Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for the gift of your son Jesus and his wisdom in our lives and his wisdom while he was on earth. And I'm so thankful that, um, that Jesus gave us really everything that we need to know. And he warned us about things and he encouraged us on different things. And, and so, Father, I just pray that through the help of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would challenge us when maybe we're falling into some of the traps that the Pharisees did and that we would not be too afraid uh, to let you in close to our lives and let other Christians in our community close to us to help point out ways that we might need to, to change or to repent and, and look more like you. But God, also help us to, to, in our lives, just to continue to model your presence and who you are. Help people to, to see us, and, and like, they, like they said of the apostles in the book of Acts, they could tell these were people who had spent time with Jesus. Help us to model for people that uh, this is not just, you know, Christianity is not just a bunch of rules to follow, but it's a person to have a relationship with. Help us to show people who you are so that they can connect to you, they can get to know who you are, and, and you will do the work of transforming their lives. In your name, I pray for all these things, Jesus. Amen.